award-winning journalist, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. I probably got to cut up the mics. That might that might help. That might be helpful. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is your Thursday night installment of the Talk That Talk radio show. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy, Matthew Raftery. Matt, what's going on, man? Not too much, man. And um, I have definitely done that before <laughs> on live radio, nonetheless, um, where... You put the levels up, you're like, everything's great. And then you're like, why doesn't it sound? And you look down and you forgot to push the button. Yeah, man. And as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure this happened about a week ago. A week ago, uh, a week exactly from today. I'm pretty sure if you guys have listened to any of the episodes that are up on Apple, Spotify, Google, anything like that, I'm almost positive. I started last week's show about a minute and four seconds in because I didn't hit record. On a uh, soundboard. Oops. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. All you guys missed was, what, the intros? Yeah. You missed when I was tipping. And you missed the the start of our intro into the Aces talk. So, good thing is I hit the record button today, so we're, we're good to go. We're, we're live today. Everything is working. And as a matter of fact, everything's looking good on our stream right now as well. Yeah, let's knock on some wood. Let's, let's I said that last week, that. and then, like, you know, a half hour in, boom, there went the stream. Yeah, man. And then I think, like, maybe a week and a half ago, you said it, too, and it played the entire way through. I don't know what happened Monday. I'm going to be honest with you. Monday really frustrated me. Um, I have an email sitting in my inbox that actually is an IT email, so I'll check it soon. I have to check it soon. Um, yeah, but if you guys are joining us on our Facebook Live, we appreciate you guys, as always. If you would like to join us on Facebook Live, all you have to do is go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Talk That Talk Radio Show. Once again, go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Talk That Talk Radio Show. It's pretty much the same across all platforms. You can do the same thing on Instagram. You do the same thing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, everything I just mentioned before. The one thing that would be different is our Twitter. Our Twitter is at TalkThatTalkLV. Once again, our Twitter is at TalkThatTalkLV. And once again, this beautiful studio is here on the fourth floor of the Harry Reid Research and Technology Park here on Sunset in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, man. Uh, this place still doesn't get old. It doesn't. And I realized a fun fact as we were coming up. Yeah, the elevator. What's up? So where I work and here mm -hmm. are both on the top floor of their respective buildings. Uh, that's a flex. That's I, a flex. I just realized that. Oh, and for anybody who is just at home just wondering how, how geeked I am about being in this new spot, I, I've had patio access for about a month now, and I go to the patio for no good reason. Just I just go to the patio. It's 112 degrees outside at like 11 p.m., and I'm outside on the patio. 
So. Yeah, no, you're crazy. That gives you an idea of the way that my life I runs. I mean, I'd go to a patio, Vegas. but we gotta put a, we gotta install a pool out there or something. No, I'm not gonna lie. We're gonna have to do some like yeah. <laughs> you've been to plenty of baseball games. We're gonna need those little like Mister fans in the corner, uh, up there in the corner, maybe where the camera is. We, we're gonna have to do something. We need we need something. Yeah, that or just let us cover a game from the party or from the pool deck. That would be great, actually. It'd be great. Shout out to the Aviators. They they've actually they've actually thrown that around to me. Um, the only, see here's the problem. I know you guys don't mind it. I still have to work, so I mind it. <laughs> so the the Aviators have absolutely floated that to me already. So we we just gotta you know negotiate some things. I don't know. Maybe it's the Aviators telling you you gotta take a night off. It's like their indirect way of like, hey, like take a night off. I, I, I would love to. Maybe maybe they maybe they don't even have to say. Maybe they don't even have to have it be indirectly. How about this? What maybe if they could just tell me. Just take a night off. What if it's at like the end of the season? They're not playing for anything. How about that? And, I might be able to pull it off. And it's a random game in the middle of the series. I might be able to pull it off. Because we know like the beginning of the series, the end of the series are important games. The middle ones just. Uh. What if we just all cover the game as a unit? We just all like throw yeah. ideas. Out you're like, I'm all right, typing. you're gonna take the first two innings. You got the next couple. You gonna have. <laughs> That's to, actually not a bad idea. Just hope it doesn't go to extra innings because then we got to restart the whole cycle. <laughs> nope. The Ghost Runner is gonna get us out of here pretty quickly. That's true. Um, if you guys are watching on Facebook Live and you see this cup in, or this can in my hand, no, um, no, you don't. Yeah, you, you don't. That's that's what it is. I'm going to try to keep it covered as best as possible. I needed some sort of um, jolt tonight. And if it looks like liquor, mm. let it look like what yeah. it looks like. However, I will say this, and we'll get out of here. Or we'll get, we'll, we'll get into the show, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how I did that show so long from the Westgate ingesting liquor. Because as tired as I am doing these late night shows, I walked in a day and was like, I used to drink during these shows. Sounds like a great idea. No, it's an amazing idea until you're tired and you realize it's 1130 and you're like, damn, I got 30 more minutes of this. I don't know what to say at this point. Yeah, I ain't going to hold you. I looked at the clock tonight and went, I do got that show tonight, don't I? Yeah, that was literally me at about 730. That's why when you texted me, I was like. That's when I remembered. I was like, oh, wait, it's Thursday, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, I guess we do have the show today. My dad texted me on my way he, on my way here, too. It was a lot of traffic, and it was. that was my my takeaway. I was like, you know what? Let me let me get in here now Yeah. because everything in my being is saying I, I don't want to record today. So let's hop in. Uh, we have – actually, let's, get, let's go to my mom's tip-in first. We'll go to my mom's tip-in. We'll get into basketball first. What do I have? I have basketball – I have UNLV talk in a couple of different sports. I have some NFL talk, and then we'll end with baseball. We'll end with some baseball. Uh, my mom's tip in for today. I think I've read this before, and I'm going to be honest. I'm going to need another batch from you, Mom. But this particular uh, quote, I'm not really sure if I've read this before, but I like it. Uh, we cannot choose our external circumstances but we can always choose how we respond to them. I'll read that one more time. We cannot choose our external circumstances, but we can always choose how we respond to them. Got anything on that before we get in here? Pretty spot on. Nailed it right on the head. No complaints from me. Yeah, man. I don't think, first of all, I was going to say that I don't think Becky Hammond has any complaints either. No, she does. She does. 
They could. I'm, they I'm could, positive she did. They, they could win by a hundred, and she's gonna be like, you know, we didn't win by hundred and one. No facts. You know what's funny? Uh, the announcer today. They 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 play Seattle tonight, and the uh, the home announcer for the telecast. Uh, <laughs> Becky was absolutely chewing into a ref. The team was up sixteen, and it was sixty four seconds left, Uh-oh. and. The announcer was like, she is absolutely down that ref's throat. And she's 60 seconds away from winning this ball game. This is the Becky Hammond that we that we know. This is the Becky Hammond that we've grown accustomed to. And it was a 79 to 63 win for the Aces tonight against Seattle. That kind of gives you an idea a little bit as to what Becky was dealing with. She was dealing with a, with a team that just didn't have it offensively tonight. That's what it looked like. And to be honest, it's not like this team came in came in here and shot themselves in the foot. This team came in and they were well guarded by the Seattle team. They were they were playing a juice Seattle team. Of course, they were playing a rested Seattle team. Right, uh, first game for I believe both uh, groups coming back since the break. And I mentioned this kind of going into this string of I would call it a straight road trip. But we've had the All Star break in between. Uh, in between this this stretch of road games. I mentioned that this team had beaten Seattle by 41 already. This team had beaten Seattle by 33 already. We, we heard Becky Hammond talk about it last season with the with the Atlanta Dream. She said, I mean, all of these games are not going to look like that 20-point 20, that blowout. And then it was a 10-point game, and now it's a 6-point game. These teams are, A, they're getting more familiar with us, and B, it's pride on the line. And that's exactly what I saw from a Seattle team today. But this also lends a lot of credence to the fact that I said the Seattle team was going to stink. And they are four and seventeen. You know they stank for sure. Yeah, they're a bad team. Uh, um, but also, what a great coach and a great star. You know they still stank. Uh, but also, you know what? Not surprising. Like when you mention those scores, that sounds about right. Because I mean, it kind of goes back to the old cliche of like it's hard to beat a team three times in a row. It definitely is. Um, I remember back when I was helping coach middle school ball. Especially early in the year, we would get a lot of these tournaments and a lot of the same teams we would see. You know, sometimes, you know, we'd play them back-to-back days or we'd play two games in one day or whatever the case was. Like, you you just couldn't avoid a lot of the good teams because if you were good, you were just naturally going to play the good teams at some point. Um, I think at one point in the year, we played a team four or five different times in one season. So the point is, like, you're right. Like, if you're dominant and that team you're playing against isn't as good – yeah, the first one might look a little lopsided because there's not as much information. The second game, there's a little bit more information on the table. That set, that team kind of knows a little bit more about you. They can adjust a little bit better off that first game. And maybe it might still be a loss, but it's a closer loss. And then, you know, you go on down the line, you learn a lot from, you know, the first two games going into that third game and so on and so forth. And that's kind of what it sounds like it's going on with Seattle where that first game, I think it was the first game of the season. It, it was. So nobody had any information on anybody. It was take your best guess and hope it works. Well, it didn't obviously work for Seattle. They lost the game by almost, or I, you said by 40, right? 41. Yeah, they lost the game by 41. But then you see the score of that second game, and you go, okay, that makes sense. Like, they gained a little bit more on the aces. They adjusted a lot, you can tell. And then from that first and second game, you can tell they adjusted even more going into this third game. But... I kind of wanted to circle back to something you had said almost right at the start where they didn't have it offensively. But what was the final score? 79 to 63. They had it enough. And more importantly, when their offense didn't show up, their defense did. That's what I think really makes great teams great. 
is they can adjust for themselves. They can understand pretty early in a game if it's going to be their night or if they're going to have to win certain ways. And we've seen this year multiple times the Aces will win any a lot of different ways. They have that's kind of what makes this team really hard to beat is because they have multiple ways they can beat you. They can play a tough, grinded-out, low-scoring game. They can get up and down in transition and make it a high-scoring contest. They can play the close games. They've blown a lot of teams out. They've had it so many different ways and fashions of beating teams that nothing is catching this team off guard. It's not like this team tenses up when the game is tight or you know, this team lets loose even more when the game's you know lopsided and then you know, the game gets too close, right? Because you kind of let your foot off the gas too much. Like this team, I think, is almost as close to perfect as you could probably fit, given that we're playing real basketball. Like the only more, more only way I think you could make this more perfect is if you were playing a video game. Like that's about the only other way you could do that. But I mean, best team in the league by far, most consistent team in the league by far, because we talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's almost better when this team loses because you kind of know what's going to come after that. They're going to start reeling off five, six, seven straight wins in a row. I mean, they're sitting at 20 and two right now, just past the halfway mark. I mean, they're still on pace to lose less than five games this whole regular season and walk away with the one seed in dominant fashion. And really, they're doing all of this. I don't believe with Candace Parker back nope. in the line. So, which, and Becky actually said today that she expects Candace to miss a significant amount of time. Interesting. Okay, because that started. I mean, we started that whole Candace thing started out with we kind of got the impression maybe it was just a day to day thing. Right. We might. We probably see her after the All Star break. So that's that's kind of interesting. Maybe it's a little bit something you know, something more severe than they thought. And then obviously no Raquana Williams, but there hasn't been a Raquana Williams all season. So I don't put as much stock into it because the team's been playing without her for the for all their games i think again road what you know home neutral site on mars it doesn't matter with this team they're gonna beat you as you know any way they can find and tonight was just one of those they realized the offense wasn't up to aces standard but their defense came in in exceptional fashion and that was i think the difference maker is you can you know on nights like this you can go ahead and score 70 but if you're holding your opponent to 55, nobody's going to care because it's the same result. I mean, Jewel Lloyd, again, uh, just defended well by this group. And, and again, like I said before, I would love to sit here and say uh, that that <laughs> the Aces, you know what, I, I'll say it's a little bit of both. Because I was going to say, I, I love. I would love to say that the Aces are coming in and they're, they, they, they just have the perfect game plan for Jewel Lloyd, right? Then again, I would be able to argue, or at least I wanna, I'd want to argue Jewel Lloyd, this is Jewel Lloyd's undoubted, undoubtedly, this is her team without Sue Burr, without Brianna Stewart. So, yeah, this is the person that you're game planning to take away. But then you look at the rest of the league and you would assume that's their philosophy as well. And Jewel Lloyd still leads the league in scoring, but this Aces group continues to be your kryptonite, especially this season. And three of 13 tonight, I believe it was. And uh, Becky actually said it to to, to open up her uh, press conference tonight. She said, um, "It our our offense definitely didn't win us this game tonight. It was our defense." And Asia sitting right next to her, shaking her head and nodding her head. And this is probably a good time to mention that Asia three blocks tonight. Um, I, I can give you her full stat line in a second, but 
Three blocks tonight, two in the first quarter, gave her 300 for her career. And again, this is Asia Wilson that we have watched transition into a, a post anchor. And, and she kind of talked about it in her time at, at uh, South Carolina. She admitted she even apologized. She even, I think as early as last year, she apologized to Don Staley about just flat out admitting, I didn't, I didn't want to play defense. I didn't want to. But now I understand how important it is. I understand all the teachings that you were giving us. And we've watched Asia turn into a defensive anchor where she talked about last season kind of being uncomfortable in certain moments down there. And now I don't even think that question has even come up because you don't even see a level of uncomfort from Asia down low. But 23 points, 15 rebounds, three assists, three blocks. Sounds like an MVP to me. Um, it, it definitely helps when Jackie Young gives you 22 points and Kelsey Plum gives you 20 points. Um, Kelsey hit a, a dagger late in that fourth quarter that really put the fork in, in Seattle for good. But this this group continues to, to shine where needed. Um, and they continue to do it as a group. You kind of just talked about it right now. They're 20-2 and two on the year. I believe they are the fifth team in history to ever start 20-2. and two. Um, we, we talked about it before. This group is headed towards some historic numbers and probably some numbers that are going to last for a very, very long time. The New York Liberty are right behind them at 14-5, and five, and then we have the Connecticut Sun who continue to win. They are 16-6. and six. It's funny you mentioned the whole... Becky at the end of the game ripping into a ref mm-hmm. kind of sounds familiar to somebody else we might know that <laughs> might also coach women's basketball in Vegas. I don't know. I feel like we're going to talk about her later in the show too. Uh, we, I mean, we've seen it up close and personal. It wasn't necessarily with the ref, but she's not afraid to rip into the other team when needed. <laughs> we've seen that before. You know, one of the greatest one of the greatest moments I've ever seen from Lindy. It was a young ref, and. The ref had the ref didn't make a call for UNLV going one way on offense. I think it was like a Desi a Desi paint touch. They go down the other way, <laughs> and the ref calls the foul the other way. Oh, that's the worst. And Lindy just looks, and the ref kind of walks over to her like she's waiting for Lindy to say something. Lindy had her arms folded. Lindy was like, "What? Like that was a great call. Just call it on this end too." Dog, when I tell you I cried, I'm sitting on the sideline crying, and I know nobody else around me even understands why that's so funny. I asked her after the game, this is before I even started, I was like, Lindy, did I read your lips correctly? And I told her, and she was like, yeah, you did. She was like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I could rip into the young ref early, or I could just commend the call. No, that's a great call. Can I get the same thing? That's it. And I just thought that just to have the wherewithal to be a young coach, to identify a young ref and go, not even finna take them out of the game this early. Why would I do that? <laughs> Why would I even get into a, a back and forth this early in the game? I'll do it when I need to. She's saving those chips for later on Absolutely. in the game. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll do it when I need to because we, we've seen her do it, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the Aces are back in action on a Saturday noon start time. They have the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, four straight victories for this team. I'm not really sure. I said it before. I'm not really sure the next time this team will lose. Uh, the Commissioner Cup is set as well. It, w- it was set as of yesterday, I believe it was. August 15th. Yep. 7 p.m. 6, 6 p.m. I lied. 6 p.m. Because it is nationally televised. 6 p.m. From the house. Yep. You get the New York Liberty in town. 
against your Las Vegas Aces. With the Commissioner's Cup on the line, this is the first time in franchise history that the Aces are hosting a Commissioner's Cup game. They are one of two undefeated teams. Obviously, the other one would be the Seattle Storm. They get this one done, too. Undefeated at home? In the, in the Commissioner's Cup. No, they are not. They lost one game. Remember, Dallas was a Commissioner's Cup game. They lost by two. No, I mean in the Commissioner's Cup championship game. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, this is only going to be the third one ever? Yeah, Maybe the fourth one. You're right. Lot. You're right. Because, yeah, I mistook what you were. I thought you were talking about this year. I was like, well, Oh, no. I mean, to be quite honest with you, that – oh, speaking of that Dallas game as well, uh, this Aces team has been held under 80 points three times this season. Prior to tonight, both of them were the only two losses. But they didn't let it bite them tonight. Um, yeah, no, I thought about that for a second. I was like, wait, no, I – being 19 and 0 when you score over 80 is insane. And even when you don't, there's still a good chance you're going to win the game if your defense comes to play. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, look, this team's doing what they need to do. Does it surprise me that Becky Hammond is ripping into refs with a minute left to go in the game? Absolutely not. Because here's the thing people, the average fan looks at that and goes, why is that coach so upset? They're going to win the game. Becky Hammond could give two flying you know what's about what the score of the game is and how much time is left in the game. That is not why she's ripping into the ref, most likely. Most likely, she's trying to prove a point, and she's going to let that ref get that point across at some point. Like, she's going to make sure before the game ends and before the you know referees go their way and Becky Hammond goes her way that the ref understands exactly how Becky Hammond feels about a certain call, regardless of whatever the score is. And I know some people don't like it, but... I mean, I don't know. It could have been something that has built up all, you know, the entire game and Becky just had enough. Like, I get it. Like, I understand it and I, I'm i okay with it because I understand the meaning behind it. I can also understand where it could rub casual fans the wrong way because they don't quite understand why Becky is doing what she's doing. And at the end of the day, too, Kelsey Plum talked about it after the game as well. And Kelsey is is already somebody who... It's constantly downhill, downhill, downhill. And she highlighted the fact that she didn't shoot any free throws tonight. <laughs> you you kind of know how KP is. And she said it, it's kind of tough when, when she's on one end battling with their guards and she's getting called for fouls. And the exact same thing is happening on the other end. And let's just call a spade a spade, ironically enough. We're talking about the Aces. We've talked about it before. This group is it's not liked, obviously. Um Neither but bigger than that, this this group is viewed as um, as a nuisance for several reasons. Whether it be uh, finding the 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 money to to bring Candace Parker in, or having the ability to persuade Candace Parker to come in for a significantly smaller contract than she would have gotten elsewhere. Whether it be complaining for fouls when you're twenty and two. But as you said before, this is something that, as Becky Hammond has talked about before, you, you get treated a certain way in this league based on what you do. Asia Wilson has does, has earned an MVP whistle. This team has earned a championship whistle. It's almost as if this team is being uh, – it's almost as if this team is is being penalized for being so good. And – I mean, as I said before, I get how it rubs other teams the wrong way when you're looking up and, it's, as you said before, you're up 15 and you're still complaining for calls. 
However, I also understand the precedent that is trying to be be set by this Las Vegas group and obviously the Las Vegas coaching staff. Um, I, I really don't think we will look back at this and have too much to say about it. I, I really don't. It's not going to matter. Well, for one, if you're the other team and you think that, you need to be better. You shouldn't be losing by 15. If, I mean, that's the biggest, that's the easiest way to fix it. Don't be, don't be getting beat by 15 and be a better basketball team or better whatever sport you're playing. Be better. Like, you know, before you start complaining about this and that and this team's getting, maybe you should be better. And maybe then you would be in that situation where you're getting more favorable calls or you're getting this or getting that. And just for reference, the Vegas Golden Knights weren't very liked this year either. A lot of teams did not like the Vegas. A lot of fans did not like the Vegas Golden Knights this year, particularly. They they haven't been a fan of them <clears throat> pretty much since their inception. But this past year, it got ramped up a little more because of Vegas just kept advancing. And it's gonna happen worse next year. Again, like think about it. If you're a Columbus Blue Jacket fan, what do you have to cheer for? Your team stinks. If you're a Coyotes fan, your team stinks. Like Arizona's not gonna like this, I, and I like be, Arizona. Be a lot. better, and then. I don't mean well. I don't mean the team, but I like the city. Like your team stinks. I'm, I'm sorry. Like if you're I like a, the state, rather. If you're a San Jose Shark fan, your team stunk. Like your team was good not that long ago, but the past few years you've stunk. And my point is, in the W, if you're a fan of the Pace or not the Pacers, watch your. Ma- I'm, all, I'm, right, I, I, all right, all right. I was thinking right. Indiana. I yeah. All right. If you're a fan of the Fever, next topic. Like, if you're a fan of a team that's not good, maybe you should worry so about... So the Pacers your... aren't good? See? No, I'm not. I'm saying the the fever. The Pacers actually have some hope. You guys have Tyrese Halliburton. You guys... I like what you guys are building. I see what y'all are doing over there. Um, it's it's kind of OKC reminiscent. I kinda, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I'm I like excited. It. I'm not um, going to lie. I'm a little excited. But, like, if you're a fan of the fever, if you're a fan of the storm, for example, and you know, like, your team's not good this year, worry about your team being better. Like... Just admit, like, there's going to be games. Like, if you're playing the Aces, you're you're probably going to get a good game. Like, you're probably going to get a really good effort from the Aces because they're really good. Like, this team is good enough. They, You could call everything against the Aces in a game. You could make it the most lopsided call you want if you're an official. This team is so talented that they will still find a way to win. There's not a doubt in my mind. Now, you might affect by how much they're going to win, but this team is smart enough, and they're talented enough at the same time. You could you could call nothing for the Aces, and they will still find a way to win the game. Again, Las Vegas has a lot going on just in terms of of uh, sports in general, but especially women's basketball. The aforementioned Lindy LaRock, her group is uh, back hanging around each other. Let's just let's just start with that. Um, I saw them go painting. You know, they've got a, um, you might see them next week. For what? Aviators. They have a aviator night planned. Okay. Okay. I haven't, um, looked at the aviators next homestand. I'm not even going to lie to you. It's like, I've, I've been focused on this El Paso series or Salt Lake series. It's like, uh, thir- Wednesday or Thursday. It's like they're doing, they're doing like promo tickets and stuff for fans. So I'd imagine they'd make an appearance out there. Wouldn't surprise me that this group is uh, <sighs> had to think. Who the Aces? No, I'm thinking about the Lady Rebels. Depending on how this season goes for the Aces, this Lady Rebel group is the winningest 
program, franchise, team in this city in recent memory? What was there? What was, where were? The, what did the uh, Lady Rebels go last year, record-wise? They trying to do it right offhand. They, they had twenty-six wins. I, I was gonna say they probably played pretty close to the same amount of games that the the Aces would, give mm-hmm. or take. They definitely were over twenty-five wins because I remember that was a milestone of sorts. I, I don't know if it was thirty-one record, and three. Thirty-one and three. The Aces are twenty. Mm, it's gonna be close because the Aces are twenty and two. The Lady Rebels lost three games all year last. Mm, man, I I could see it. Like I could literally see the Aces go roll, however many off in a row they're gonna do, and they're gonna they wind up with like a thirty-seven and three type of mark or something like that, which would be insane it's, to lose one more game the rest of the way till the playoffs. <laughs> that would be that, one loss that, after the All Star break. That's psychotic. Like that is just on another level. Um, but I mean, that's because what was their win percentage then for the Lady Rebels? Uh, well, it was 31-2 and two before they even got to postseason play because, obviously, they lost in right. the first round of the big dance. But do you want to guess what the Lady Rebels record has been over the last two seasons? So they were 31-3 and three last year. The year before that, I want to say they were, like, 25-8. and eight. <laughs> That sounds really familiar for some reason. That's funny. You were literally a game off. They were 26-7. and seven. 26 wow so they were 57 and or excuse me rather they are 57 and 10 over the last two seasons what did they go the first year i'm trying to figure because at this point i'm trying to figure out how many wins does lindy the rock have and how close is she to the next milestone lindy's very close um because what 31 this was it so they went 15 and 9 her first year but what was impressive about her first year two numbers they went 13 and 5 in conference play and they went 9 and 0 away from home so it's 26, 31, that's 57. You throw 15 in there, that's what? 72. Dog. She's within 72 strike, and 19. She's within striking distance of 100. Like, it, I mean, it, it, she's going to have to go on a pretty decent run this year. She's going to have to back it up with another, like, 20. To get to 100, she needs 28 wins. If Lindy starts this next season 9 and 0, then Lindy. Would be eighty-one and nineteen in her first hundred career games if, if she, she starts the year nine and zero. You know, if we do like a, we probably will like a preseason interview or something like that. I think we got some. One of us has to bring this up to Lindy. Like, you realize you're twenty-eight away from a hundred, like twenty-eight wins. <laughs> think that's a pretty good benchmark to shoot for, at least, uh, or at least a baseline to shoot for. Go, all right. You know, we not even a baseline to shoot for because because I feel like we would know we would understand it. We would know kind of what answer we're gonna get from her. I think the bigger question would be: these are numbers that you obviously don't think of, right? And she always talks about winning and arrest takes care of itself. Winning and arrest takes care of itself. She's been around a Hall of Fame coach, so I'm gonna have to do some number crunching. And compare it to some things. So that's the only way that we're going to get Lindy to even address that is if we say, <clears throat> hey, let's look at Don Staley. Hey, let's look at Tara Vandervich. Uh, excuse me. Coach Tara. Hey, let's look at these other coaches. Let's look at some of these male coaches. And I want to know how quickly it took them to get to their first 100 wins. Because think about this. If she gets to 100 this year, that's her, it'll be her fourth year. Yeah. She would be averaging 25 wins a year. Well, keep in mind, too, that 15 and 9 years is a COVID year. Exactly. 
that's even scarier to know that one of those years was basically a you know an asterisk year if you will a lot of people have referred to covid years as the asterisk year for various reasons maybe some people you know agree with the team that won other reasons but it was it, it definitely wasn't a full year so really three and a half ish years of worth of games you get three full seasons in your covid year and you're already you know within striking distance of 100 like this team won 31 games last year she's only 28 wins away from 100 like it's not out of the question i don't think they they actually open the year with and i'll give you guys their their non-conference schedule right now they're home against cal state la they're on the road against lmu they're at home against College of Charleston, Utah Tech, and New Hampshire. They're on the road against UC Santa Barbara. I'm, a, I'm, I'm interested in that one. And then you have tournament play. You, you get either San Diego or Weber State. This is on the road in San Diego. You got to travel to Northern Arizona, which I'm very interested in. This, this team, these two programs, rather, um, have played each other the past couple of years, and Northern Arizona is always tough for this group. Um, where am I at? One, two, three, four, five. Damn it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So, in order for Lindy LaRock to start 9-0 and and have 80 win, 81 wins in her first 100 games, that ninth game will be at home against Arizona. Toughest game of their non-conference by far. And then you follow that up with a road game in Norman against Oklahoma, and then two more road games in New Jersey. You got Seton Hall and Fairleigh Dickinson. They've got to play that Arizona game in the MAC. It, it does say the MAC right now. Good. It should. It should. Stay it's a way. Saturday. The time has not been announced yet. I like that because I, I was about to ask you what their toughest non-conference game is going to be because every year they've had a non-conference They've always got the one game that's really tough on their schedule. Like now, see now, I know a lot of people are going to look at this Arizona game and say that that's the toughest game for them. And I'm not going to sit here and say it isn't. But there's not just one tough game when it's not conference schedule this particular year. That's three straight. I'm talking like through the ringer type games: Northern Arizona, Arizona, and Oklahoma, and two of those three are on the road. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you. Yeah, that's a tough part. But I mean, Lindy's not afraid of, of scheduling. We've seen it, but I mean, damn, man. But then again, like we, that it happened last year. Like it was a we, they had a tough part of their non-conference where they they had like the first 5 at home, and then they had the next like 7 of seven straight on the road or something ridiculous like that. And you saw when you got to conference play, they whooped everybody in conference play pretty much because they're like I mean, no, you know, disrespect to the Mountain West, but they played the big boys early, you know, the, you know, the big sw- hitters and swingers of the women's college basketball ranks. They played those teams early to kind of get a gauge and a feel for how that would look. And then they get to the Mountain West. They're like, well, this is a group of five school. Like we played teams that are tougher than this. And they kind of just cruised right on through. I could see a similar thing happening this year, particularly with that three-game stretch kind of setting up for conference play. If you're the rest of the Mountain West, you're looking at that going, man, if they, even if they get through that stretch one and two 
and they quote unquote steal a game somewhere. Which I I mean I hate that term with this team because every game feels winnable. It, it really does. It's like it, same thing with the Aces. Like I don't think the Aces steal any games away. Like there was a certain point, even with the Golden Knights, at a certain point in the year, Bruce Cassidy even made it a point. He said we're not stealing any games. Like we're coming to the ring knowing we have a good chance to win, and it's a common thing with good teams. You don't typically use the steal a game men- mentality. Now, if you're a team that hasn't been playing well, I'm not going to name any specifics because I don't want to get in trouble with anybody. They're next. Uh, who are you going to say? Mm-mm. Okay. Mm-mm. <laughs> I was gonna. Th- I was thinking of a local team, but I didn't want to say it because. Oh, we. Um, and it's that. Well, yeah, no, I'm not going to say it. that. Would that would have given it away. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain games you look at that uh, you know teams like that will that'll play that maybe are you know, below average to middle of the road, and they kind of surprise you with a, a win against a team that you might think is better than them, you look at that game and go, yeah, we may have stole one there. Mm-hmm. Good teams look at that and go, no, we handled business. Like, we should have won that game. Like, there's no surprise here. It's business as usual. And, I mean, that's kind of the new expectation, if you will, that the Lady Rebels and the Aces have on them, and even really the Golden Knights now that they've kind of reached over the hump, those good championship-level teams, you beat another good team, and they kind of look at it like, well, we were kind of supposed to do that. Like, it would have been a letdown if we didn't. And it's just, to me, it's a big mindset thing. And I actually kind of alluded to, not even alluded, but no, I kind of did, because Lindy made it a point to say it. And this is just, again, just a synergy thing. With uh, both of us kind of being around Lindy as much as we are, um, we're, we're on the national stage, and I asked her a question. I think this may have been the Wyoming game, and I think UNLV may have went scoreless for about four minutes. And, I mean, this team hasn't necessarily had a, a, too many stretches like that. I think they had a San Diego stretch on the road uh, last year that was kind of eerily reminiscent of that. And other than that, they didn't typically have those long stretches. And I brought it up, and uh, – Yes, you, you you play defense and it forces a team to miss a shot to miss shots. Sometimes a team just flat out misses shots, and I kind of alluded to Wyoming just missing some shots. And Lindy said, "Yes, while we went scoreless for X amount of time, we also held them scoreless for Y amount of time." And she kind of smiled and she was like, "I don't think we got lucky." And I was like, "As long, long as you know where I was going, because you kind of are. Like luck is a part of being good. It happens. Like this Aces team." While they may not have stolen the game this year, similar with the, the Lady Rebels over the last two years, maybe you have been lucky in certain areas, though, and that, and and being good creates those opportunities, right? So I, I think what's so interesting about this group too, you talk about their scheduling. Let's go back to that fifteen and nine year. I I remember this may have been one of my favorite interviews with Lindy after that San, after that Stanford game. That's kind of the way I approached it. I mean. One of the one of the nation's powerhouses right there, right? And she was like, I mean, at the end of the day, we know where we stack up against them. That's all we wanted. Like, we wanted to come in here, be a thorn in their side. Obviously, we wanted to win the game. And later in the year, I told her, I was like, New Mexico looks a little different now that this team has seen Stanford, right? New, or Boise State looks a little different that now that this team has stood in front of Stanford. And then you follow that up with an Arizona trip last year, or, ne- or two years ago. Then you follow that up this year with – a trip to Michigan or a trip against Michigan. And now, as you said before, the Mountain West starts to look a little different. So uh, I've said it before and I'll say, I'll say it again. I, I was looking at Alyssa Durazo Frescas. Alyssa Durazo Frescas 
and uh, Kiara Jackson today. And in the back of my mind, I said two years. I said, not including this year, you guys have at least two more years of this team being a pain in your side. And get Desiree back. That's why I looked at those two and said two years. How Because you got to deal with Desi this year. Is this Desi's last year of eligibility? No. Or, oh, she has two years left. Huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. So let's just say she doesn't want to take advantage of that COVID year. And she wants this year to be her last year. Which I don't think she will. No, but let's just say she does. Right. Still got to deal with KJ. Still got to deal with Aly- Alyssa Durazo Frescas. Still got to deal with Alyssa Brown. That's the, I mean, if you look at the starting five, the only thing they really lost was Essence, which is a notable... Essence and Justice. And Justice, that's right. They, that, those are really the only two notable pieces they lost, quote-unquote, and you still get Desiree Young back. You still have um, Alyssa Durazo Frescas back. You get a uh, Kira Jackson that... As as I mean, you've kind of documented pretty well, has gotten better as she's played more. This team is not going anywhere for say. Like, I think you can put in Sharpie that this team's gonna be a twenty five win team. And then you just go up from there. So what are you putting in Sharpie about the men's team? I hate that you did this. I I knew that's exactly where you it was either gonna I be I just want the actual question. It was gonna either be them or UNLV football. I knew <laughs> one of the two was coming up. Oh, um man. well what's the schedule like? It's not out yet. Mm, okay. It'll be coming um, out shortly. They actually made a post earlier today about, you know what's funny? I seen a post earlier today about just them, them posting some of the practice shots, and uh, I saw Keyshawn Gilbert comment on something. Uh-oh. And I went to to his page, and I looked at his page, and uh, one post as of right now, and it's a... Uh, it's a drive. It, this is him at, at practice at Iowa State, and this is him uh, on a drive, and he he jumps in the air, and he has a wraparound pass to the corner, and somebody splashes a three. And and this is what's going to be so funny. I watched his emotion after the fact, and he didn't yell or anything crazy, but he the, the, same, the same snarl that he typically has, he kind of looks toward the sideline, and he points. In that little moment where I saw the 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 pit bull like snarl and the point to the sideline, and I said, "Boy, is this program gonna miss him?" I said when he left, I said, "This team's in trouble." Um, off the rip, where the men are gonna be, my gut tells me without even looking at a schedule, somewhere around five hundred, because. I, I we say this every like I said it last year like oh this team got the potential like you, they kind of lined their schedule up to kind of get to that twenty win mark which they almost did to their credit but you almost s- only counts in what uh, horseshoes and hand grenades yeah that's about it um and I mean even at some points during the year like they started the year ten and zero and you went okay what well, maybe twenty does look pretty reasonable you just have to kind of tread water essentially in the conference play and you'll be you'll be all right and to i mean they they led they dropped a pretty sizable egg in conference play that didn't do them any favors that was one of the and i know what we said about unlv football right i told you guys even with that start i heard people say well, what about seven wins eight wins nine wins? this is still football this can still go left quickly 
I didn't expect this basketball team to do what he did last year. No, Mar- Marcus Royal told you about football too. He he reminded you about football. <laughs> That man had a vendetta out for you. I was like, man, Marcus, you take notice? I didn't feel it. That, I, I really didn't take it that way. And maybe, never mind. I was like, man, Marcus, who pissed in your Cheerios today? Dang. Himself? I, I'm, uh, Eric Harper, probably. Um, <laughs> that was bad. Um, no, that was great. That was not bad. That was great, actually. Yeah, well, he. I mean, he's the one that got the last laugh at the end of the indeed, day. Indeed. Indeed he did. <laughs> But there's no telling what Marcus Royal was going to do after that, anyway. So. I mean, at the same time, it depends on what this. What we have, we're not at football yet, but it depends on what this next staff does because Marcus might have the last laugh. He may, yeah. I mean, there's been coaches that have done that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of basketball, like I, I'll say this: Kevin Kruger is one of the toughest coaches for me to handicap because I don't know what you get out of him. Like every time you want to look at Kevin Kruger and go, I don't know if he's got it figured out. He goes and pulls off an upset win. He goes and pulls off a Ken Palm top 20, 75 win. And then you have to readjust and recalibrate and go, well, I mean, he does have this one on his resume, so it's pretty imp- – it makes it really tough because then you get to those games. Like, let's say in a three-game stretch, the first game is against the Ken Palm top 75, the next game is against the top 50, and they you know somehow win both those games – and maybe that third game's against a top 150, so not a great team. It doesn't make much sense because they play those two game, the first two games really well, and they have a bad habit of playing that third game against a team that is less of an opponent that they are, that isn't as talented as the UNLV is. They play down to their level a lot, and that's what makes this team so hard to figure out is because it fluctuates so much that you don't know what performance and what UNLV team you're getting on a nightly basis. I mean, in, in contrast to the Lady Rebels, the Aces, the, the Golden Knights, you know what you're getting out of those teams on a pretty nightly basis, or at least a pretty good idea. Somebody said, how's UNLV men's basketball going to play every night? I look at them and tell, I, I don't know. Ask me in about 35 minutes. I'll, I'll have a pretty good answer for you. But until then, <clears throat> I have no idea because I have te- seen this team go way up and down in so many different, even during the games, they'll have a really bad half, and then they come out and play the half of the century. Mm-hmm. So it, even during EJ Harkless isn't here anymore, so I don't know how how often they'll be doing that again. Even during the games, which a lot of people would go back and argue, and they'd say, you know, some of those games, if it wasn't for a good half that they put together, they would have lost a lot of those, you know, even more of those games during the year, which I think is a valid argument. This, I mean, this, to me, this year, probably more than ever, is a big wild card year for me because you got to remember, Kevin Kruger is now in year three. And, and we, we, because we, of that, let me make this short and simple for you. He's got to win, right? I was going to ask you if 20 wins keeps Kevin Kruger's job. You want to give me a short answer on that? No. And I, and I look at that, and, I, and the reason I say no, Eric Harper is still the athletic director, and it, um, Kevin Kruger was not Eric Harper's hire. I'm not even going to go that far because everything you just said is absolutely right. Because of what you just said, I think a lot of people are unsure as to what Kevin Kruger is. At the end of the day, Kevin Kruger has a history at, at this program as a player. Kevin Kruger has a history at this program as an assistant. Joey Gallegos made a very, very great point a while back, and he felt like the handicap on Kevin Kruger was getting his first job here. At his alma mater. And I think that carries so much weight. That is something that has rang in my head for the longest. Because of that, 
people do not care if Kevin Kruger gets a 20 wins this year. People do not care if Kevin Kruger gets a 22 wins this year. If Kevin Kruger is not playing in the semifinals, of, or coaching rather, in the semifinals of the Mountain West Championships, Kevin Kruger will be looking for a job this offseason. Agreed. And I think, I mean, kind of, well, whether fair, whether right, wrong, fair, indifferent, whatever the case may be, this is where Kevin Kruger is headed. I think people are tired of talking. This team can go, like you said, 500. Right. But if you hit a stride in that tournament, clearly, yeah. Everything will be forgiven. Yeah. I mean, if you go 500 and you somehow get to the finals of the Mountain West tournament, all does kind of seem forgiven because you're putting together at least a decent NIT bid, if nothing else. And even if you don't, I, I think even if this team doesn't have a postseason bid, but they go to the semis of the championship, I think at that point you can say, expect honestly, I think it may actually benefit Kevin if this team is about 500 and he makes a run like that, because that's even a bigger feather in his cap to say this team may not be the most talented, and this is what I coached them to. But the, I think there's two really big things working against Kevin Kruger this year. Number one, we're in year three. Mm-hmm. Do you remember another coach that got canned after year three? Mm-hmm. He was two coaches ago, actually. But, yep. yeah, of recent memory for sure. Yeah. And The other one left after Nermo. We don't talk. I, I mean, you said can, so I wanted to make the, make sure people knew the difference. My yeah, bad. no, no, no. Like, told you, you're done. Um, and it was a similar situation. Marvin Menzies was not Desiree's hire, so there was no pressure. Kevin Kruger is not Eric Harper's hire. Do you still think there's no pressure, though? Absolutely. I, th- I, th- I was saying at the end of last year. No pressure? Well, because, think about this. Eric Harper's already set a precedent with Marcus Arroyo. Whether, however he felt about Marcus Arroyo, the public precedent was win now or else. Now Kevin Kruger, regardless, of, again, we understand that Eric Harper and Marcus Arroyo probably didn't have the strongest of relationships to start. Okay, so right there. Ding, 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 because I was just getting ready to say it. Uh, a person who will remain nameless, we were talking about this, and the person said, no, like, th- there's one glaring difference. And I looked at the person and I said, Eric Harper and Marcus Arroyo. Let me not even say this. Let me, I'll say it, I'll put it this way. Eric Harper likes Kevin Kruger. I'm not going to say that Eric Harper dislikes Marcus Arroyo, but you guys have never heard me say that he did like him. That's where I'll leave it. The point still stands in case. Let Kevin Kruger not make the semifinals and tell me how much Eric Harper's going to like Kevin. Because it's going to come to a point that whether Eric Harper likes Mark or likes Kevin Kruger or not, there's going to be enough built-up frustration over the cycle that UNLV basketball has continuously found themselves in to where they're going to have to make a change because it's going to be out at that point it won't be Eric Harper's decision. It'll be, you know, Booster's decision. It'll be the people but, that are cutting checks' decision. I mean, but some of the things that we heard last year, I, I said it before, I was pretty close to the program, and I didn't think Kevin Kruger was going to lose his job. And maybe the last month of the season, it kind of heated up a little bit. And uh, I still tried to stick to my guns, but I was like, now people in the program are telling me it could, it could be a possibility, which lends a lot more credence to everything that we're saying right now for this season. I think the only thing is – you do have a handful of boosters that there's probably a smaller handful now that there is, an, and you know this for a fact, there's a nostalgia attachment to this program. And yes, there's nostalgia attached to the, attached to the school, but there is a, 
a, a stench of nostalgia when it comes to this basketball program, this men's basketball program. With all due respect to Tark, you know how I feel just about energies. I don't walk past the statue without touching Tark. Without touching Tark. That's just the way that I feel. Right. But this program is still living on those glory days. And even with them having some some some, some success, obviously, in the in the in the past decade, um, or excuse me, in the past 20 years, rather, we've seen this team have spouts of success. And for me, there's a Kruger attached to that. Hell, there's two Krugers attached to some of that. Even though I believe Eric Harper will pull the trigger, I am probably the furthest from saying that there won't be pressure. Do I believe that it may be 70-30? He will have some people in his ear that will, especially going back to what you said about the Ken Palm teams, let Kevin Kruger win another regular season tournament this year. Let Kevin Kruger get to 20 wins and not make the semifinals. You'll have some people in, in, in his ear saying, well, well, I still think Eric Harper pulls the trigger, but I don't think he does it as swiftly as he did with Marcus Arroyo. And I can pretty much nail why that would be in terms of the people that would say, well, you know, kind of the let's give him another shot crowd. Think about, and, and you kind of touched on this without maybe even realizing it, Think about what happened to UNLV basketball around 2009-2010. I still say it's one of the biggest mistakes they've ever made in program history by letting Kevin's dad walk out the door. And I think the crowd that would be saying, well, they're in a way trying to make good on that. They know it was a mistake, so they're figuring, we're going to try to make good on that through Kevin Kruger. As we're seeing right now, Kevin Kruger and Long Kruger, not necessarily the same coach because a lot of UNLV fans remember the success of Long Kruger. They remember being a perennial, you know, team in the Mountain West, consistently, you know, battling for conference championships, being in the NCAA tournament, the, you know, runs that Kevin or that uh, Long Kruger would go on with this team. We're not necessarily seeing that same thing play out into fruition for Kevin Kruger. And, again, I just go back to, I, I feel like the best way that Eric Harper could assess Kevin Kruger is putting his personal feelings aside of Kevin Kruger. That's the best way to do anybody's evaluation. I, I mean, if that was... Whether the, it happens, I don't know. If that was the case, we both know that Marcus Arroyo would still have a job. Or he's... No. He, because at least Marcus... If you're Marcus yeah, Arroyo... I see what you... At, le at least if you're Marcus Arroyo, your argument was... We were literally on the last day. We had a pathway to get to a bowl game. Granted, yeah, we needed some help, but what team doesn't? Like, what team doesn't need help? The in good some... ones. Yeah. Okay. Again, we're talking about UNLV <laughs> football, who has never, ever, ever in their lifetime been that good. They've always needed help from somebody. So to Marcus Rose, and you could see, honestly, what Marcus was building. I would have liked to see one more year just to see if it would have gotten over the hump, but that's beside the point. Right. My point here with Kevin Kruger is if you are Eric Harper – by default of you know making the decision that you did on Marcus Arroyo, you have now set a public precedent to everybody of what the university is kind of their direction that they're going in, which is we're going to win and we're going to win pretty quickly. If you let Kevin Kruger stay for a fourth year, and let's just say hypothetically this year, he has a similar year to last year where 
you're around the 500 mark and you get bounced in the quarterfinal. To me, especially if you look at this program's history and you go down the list, and I understand that not a lot of these were of Eric Harper's doing, but you look at a Marvin Menzies who got canned after three years, even with a 20-win season thrown in there, he still got the boot after three years. You, and still a recruit away from uh, Kansas. So, I mean, yeah, shout out to Brandon McCoy, too. I talked to Brandon a, a several times during summer league. Yeah, and you look at all that, and Marvin Menzies, like I said, still got booted after three years. I think if you let Kevin Kruger stick around, and I understand there's going to be people that say, well, this team, the program at some point needs to stop firing coaches early for buyouts and all that. At a certain point, and I've always said this about UNLV basketball and football for the for part of it, but a lot of reasons for basketball, kind of because of what happened with Lon, if you decide to fire Kevin Kruger hypothetically, do not go cheap on your next target. That's all I can ask for. And this is what I'll say, and we, we'll end this UNLV basketball talk here because Kevin Kruger is headed into his third season. With all due respect to Kevin Kruger, I said it before, and I will say it again. And this was before Kevin Kruger was hired. So I'm just going to be consistent. I know for a fact. Before TJ got the job, I believe it was. Former NBA rookie of the year. Two-time NBA champion. Mike Miller was interested in this job. I'd even I'd even go one better. This program. Wait, give me one second. Go ahead. Since then. Mike Miller has been an assistant coach at Memphis. And since 2020, he has been the head coach at Houston High School, where he's already won a state championship. Keep going. This program, I know this for a fact because it came out, this program was days away from George Carl. George Carl wanted this job back before Marvin Mendes, I believe. George Carl had interest in this job. though. And again, if all reports are true, which, I mean, a lot of them have kind of matched up, so I believe that there's a decent amount of truth in here. They were just trying to figure out the contract logistics of it. It, it almost seemed like it had been verbally agreed on that, yes, George Carl wanted the job, and UNLV kind of wanted George Carl. They had to figure out numbers and dollars and cents, and that's where it kind of broke off. So if you want something even, you know, to be more sick about, UNLV was very close to a Hall of Fame coach coming to campus. With all due respect to George Carl, I like George a lot in the sense of my interaction with him. I've met George once, and I was in high school. Great conversation. Um, I know that when people write books, it can come off – bitter sometimes because it's just one-sided so you're just talking about all your experiences and everything of that nature um some of the shots that he took at the Kenyon Martins the the Carmelo Anthony's and the way that they were raised and some of the things like that again with all due respect to somebody like Mike Woodson I said the age for me I know he's going to be a great coach look at what he did at Indiana the age for me with what this city is trying to do, I don't know that Mike Woodson is the best pick. And I said that solely based on age. I don't think George Carl is the right pick for this city for several reasons. And even if you wanted to go younger, let's not forget 
this program had a chance to hire Eric Musselman. We can name a million names. Mike Bibby was interested in this job. Jason Kidd was pretty close to this job before the Lakers came calling. There have been names. You know what? Never mind. I'm leaving. I'm getting off of this topic because you also have people like Stacey Ogwin, Reggie Theus, and Larry Johnson who would love a phone call. Even now, I don't think they would pick the phone up. And I don't blame them. Because I, I won't say that. Because <laughs> um, I, I think Larry, y'all might have to do some some. And I mentioned this before. There there may have to be a Calvin Johnson, Barry Sanders esque level of reparations paid to to Larry Johnson and a lot of people from that championship team, uh, just because of the way that this program has handled them in the aftermath. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I, I'm a firm believer in it. <laughs> I don't believe that you can have certain levels of success with those ghosts walking through your halls. And, and I'm a firm believer of it. I mentioned it with Detroit when we were at Westgate two years ago. Dan Campbell started to exercise some of them demons. He asked Matthew Stafford, before I get you out of here, what do I do? How do I change this? He made a phone call to Calvin Johnson. He made a phone call to Barry Sanders. Ironically enough, Detroit looks a lot better of a group now, don't they? Um... Sticking with football, it's not professional football, but sticking with football really quick. We'll go to UNLV football really quick because the past two days, it has been Mountain West Media Day. It was at Circa this year, too. And I'm not going to lie, I was going to go down there. Didn't happen. Wasn't going to happen because of Summer League. <laughs> I wasn't going down there. Um, didn't have it in my in, in my blood to do it, but... This UNOV group, we talked about Barry Odom. Um, I, I said it before when he came in, one of the first things that I noticed, uh, I pay attention to a lot of coaches that do it, especially in football, depending on where you're picking up your team from or program from in this case. And one would argue that <laughs> Barry Odom was walking into a fairly bare program. And I don't mean talent-wise. I just mean just in terms of the history of it, right? So I'm going to build inside out the way the way you should build a, a football program and he started with the offensive line. He started with the defensive line. And if he knows anything about the way that this program has looked over the last couple of years, yes, Doug Brumfield is great at quarterback. This program is at its best when it's running the football. And that's the way it's been over the last three or four years. You add Doug Brumfield's throwing ability and this adds another dynamic to this group. We've seen this offense be explosive against teams like Arizona State. However, the issue is the health of the quarterback. <laughs> and that's where it boils down to, right? You have some playmakers on the outside, they can't get the ball <laughs> in certain moments if Doug is 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 literally staring down a barrel of several defensive ends and he has to kind of make his way out and he has to elude pressure. Um, that's why you're getting a lot of these, uh, and I don't even, for lack of a better term, Hail Mary attempts just in terms of what Doug tries to do with his legs. And that, in my opinion, and I'm sure his opinion as well, kind of lends credence to why he's kind of off the field in moments. The scary part is Doug not only <laughs> doesn't appear that he's going to change his style, Doug doesn't see anything wrong with his style. Does that concern you? He's Doug, so no, not really, because we've seen Doug do some, some crazy things. Um, I, I watched the first game last year, and yeah. I looked at Doug and said, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Did you do you not see what this stop it like we, we don't need that now like try that again I have seen Doug land on his neck tw 
twice. Yeah, and the first time when I saw it, I said, oh, no, he ain't getting back up, is he? I have, this is a good trivia question for you. Oh, God. And not necessarily trivia, more so what you would guess. So, over under, what do you think the UNLV win total is set at for this year? How many wins are they projected to get? Five. Close. Definitely no more than six. It's right on six. Now, there's a little bit of odds going away from six. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have. I would say five is a is like a safe bet. It, not in terms of like what you should bet. But I'm talking about the, the the books. That's a safe bet for them because. Sorry, guys, but I don't believe this program will get the six wins. So I think five wins is a win for this program. I, I think you should expect three or four. Because what their schedule is tough this year. And we're going to go through it right now. Let's do it now. So Let's see where they we open can... a year at Bryant. Or excuse me, I lied. They open a year at home against Bryant. I'll give them a win. Come on. I Bryant. don't trust this team in week one ever. I don't. <laughs> I don't give a damn if they play my high school. No, I mean, think about it. Like week one, it's a new coach. You're going to be pl- you're going to be a little more juiced up. Even it's more the reason why. I th- All right. And you're, and you're playing Bryant. Like I watched this team lose to Howard. I, I get it. And Eastern Washington. Yeah, I know. You want me to name another one? No, I don't. I'm going to give them a win, but I do see your argument. I I mean, I'm not going to lie. If I think they're good to four, they've got to get this win. If they don't win this game, (laughs) you can cash six, five, four. You might even be able to catch three if they don't. But I I do think they win this game. So they win against Bryant on the road against Michigan. That's a loss. At home against Vanderbilt. That's a team that they beat two years ago. I think Tony Sanchez did it. Maybe three years ago. I'll go win, but I don't feel great about it. I don't feel great about it either, but I'm going to give them a dub on that one as well. At UTEP. I think this is a loss. That I, is a loss. I looked at the the Vandy-UTEP games, and I said one or the other. Some They're either – I think if they lose to Vandy, they beat UTEP, vice versa. If they beat Vandy, yeah. I think there's a split there. At home versus Hawaii. The team that, or the program rather, that effectively lost Marcus Arroyo his job. Win. They always, for whatever reason, they play really well against Hawaii. Very true, and they coughed it away last year. I don't know. At UNR. UNR has a new coach this year, right? I couldn't tell you. I haven't done my own West breakdown yet. You At UNR. Fred, you know, uh, I hate to do this. I'm going to say that's a loss. Cause I, I don't like it because it's at UNR. I, I, that's my thing. And UNLV's won the can in the last two years. At home against Colorado State. Homecoming. Jay Norvell's at Colorado State, right? I think so. Yeah. That's a loss. I and it's it home is. it's a it's a close loss. I this would be one that wouldn't surprise me if it flipped to a win. At Fresno State. That's a loss. Fresno at Fresno is always a tough ask. For at New State. Mexico. Win. I I like that one as a win too. Home against Wyoming. Home that's a loss. I don't like that one either. Away at Air Force, Aiden Robbins. That is a loss. Yeah. <laughs> that is a loss. <laughs> that will be a loss. And then at home against San Jose State, I think that's a loss as well. So the game that I did not give you my pick on was Colorado State, and I'm probably on the fence about that one. So if I give them that, what's that, four dubs? Uh, yeah, I think I think we're both at about four. So. Ta-da. If Welcome you, to UNLV football, guys. If you want to follow what T and I are saying – there, you, if you if you see six on the board, and we think there's probably four here, 
And remember, there was a few games that we looked at each other and we were like, who knows? Like, that that's a coin flip either way. We should not say who knows about Bryant. But we, I mean, like but you said, really to your know. point, this team has shown otherwise. Like, Howard's not necessarily a layup. Eastern Washington's not a layup. Like Howard was supposed to be a layup. Maybe not. Like, <laughs> I again, you can't, it's not like when, like, let's say Alabama was playing Bryant. You would go, Alabama's going to win that game. You know what's interesting? And we, we can get out of college football because this is going to frustrate me. I remember, this is why I don't like week one in college football. Week zero, week one, none of it. Um, I remember 2016, I believe it was, and USC and Alabama kicked off the season at Texas at Texas Stadium. Oh, I hate it. I did not like this. I mean, as a USC fan, I did not like this game. And interestingly, interestingly enough, I didn't like it either. However... Being an SC fan, I juiced myself up for the game. I started taking bets. I was like, dog, this is, we about to shock the world. By halftime, <laughs> you I were was paying like, all those you bets know back what? Out. You're like, all right. Here I we was go. hitting people directly. So, how you want your, you want me to sell it to you? Yeah. All right. Cause that was before the days of sell, too. Yeah, we gonna, we going to figure out something, bro. We going to, how you, how you need me to do it? You, you said, need me to just, you, you want said cash? Your, you said your address was what? Hang on, I'm going to put the check in the mail Word, right now. Word, bro. Like, I, man, this is why I don't play with week one games anymore. I don't do it. I don't do it. I don't do it. It's always tough. Like, I mean, just as a general rule of thumb when it comes to betting in sports, the first week of any season, take your best guess. Like, and, and not just the better, but the book as well. Like, mm-hmm. everybody's just kind of looking at each other like, mm, I don't know. A, a lot of this sports stuff is a guessing game. In certain aspects, like yeah, the, we we talked about being good or and, and and being having luck attached to that with being good. Um, same thing here, same thing here. When when you start a lot of seasons, hell, shout to uh, credit to Marcus Royal for last year. This team started four and one. We looked around, it was like, so did he? No, yeah, you think he was shot near him? And then he and then we got to the end of the year, and again he he kind of again I, it may have just been your question. It felt like he had some. Appra- I was like, Marcus, why do you got to feel a way about T? At the, end of, at the end of the day, I think this is what it is. I think, you know, and we, and of course I've done interviews too, so sometimes you have a point that you just want to get out. And I think he knew that a question about the losing streak was coming. So because of that, he already had predetermined in his mind, I have to remind these people that we started 4-1. and one. The reason why I didn't take it personally, and I've said it before on this radio show, because I don't care either way. Yes, you started four and one. Still four and seven. Now you've lost six straight. So what does it matter? So now you're not going to a bowl game, and you started four and one. So I should be more disgusted, right? Even if you were two and two, how? No matter how you got there, you're there, bro. So that's why I didn't take it personally. That's why I, I said it before. The the one interview where. I felt like a coach may have had some smoke for me was Tony Sanchez. You told and me I, about that. I addressed that in I addressed that in the press conference and that's on record. So y'all could go and do your Google. I might have to Google search for this. I I'm, I'm pretty sure I have it in my phone. Yeah, I might I might have to listen to that. I don't remember <laughs> that direct, but that if that's the case, I mean if I thought Marcus Royal and you was yeah. No, I told you guys before, I have all the respect in the world for Tony Sanchez, and I that's the only person on this planet that I think you could look back to and say that there was like, there's a little, there, there's a little tension, and not only there's a little tension, there's there's some visible tension. Um, but again, like I said too, credit to Tony Sanchez, and I believe credit to myself too, because we kept it professional at all times. But you could just tell with with sometimes in that press conference room, sometimes it was a little bit of head button. 
And shout out to Charles Williams, uh, the Chuck Wagon. He knows Tony Sanchez very well. He knows me pretty well at this point, too. And uh, <laughs> shocked me, but he said Tony and I are eerily reminiscent in just a, a lot of the ways that we go about things. So he said it didn't really surprise him that we kind of butted heads. But um, ironically enough, what I would do to have Tony Sanchez back on this campus. At least I had some sort of direction. I knew where the program was going with Tony Sanchez. I wonder if this program wishes they could undo a couple things. And I mean, that's, I think, my biggest point and my biggest argument for this team that they're not going to reach six wins this year. Let's let's keep this in perspective. This is still Barry Odom's first year with this team. I always say, especially in college football, sometimes in college basketball you can get away with it. Not really rarely at all. Deion Sanders might actually be the only exception to this rule this year, and even then, I don't know how they're going to look. UNLV football has, A, never been all too competitive consistently. Yep. B, they have a coach that is in his first year of this program. Yep. And somebody completely new to the program at that. They Barry Odom has no attachment to this program until now. No attachment to the conference, I don't believe. And you have to look at their schedule as well. They have tough road games on there. It's not like they gave they gave this team an easy walk through the schedule. They have to go to Fresno. They go to Michigan. They have a tough game against they're an SEC. Air Force. They're at Air Force. They have a tough game against an SEC team. Granted, it's at home, but it's still against an SEC team. Like this team is going to get challenged a lot, especially early in a new in a team with a new coach and a lot of new players to the program. I always say you err on the side of caution in this situation, which is why if you told me I had to make a bet one way or the other on this particular prop, I would say under. I think it's under what six. Did you say it, was at? it was at six. Six. I would go under because I don't see how this team's getting to a bowl game with all this newness still to figure out. We'll see what happens. Uh, I will say this much that that Barry Odom has come in and done exactly what I have liked for coaches to do in, in the past, and that's come in and be quiet and get to work. He came in, he had that press conference. As I said before, the next seven times that I heard Barry Odom's name, it came from high school coaches. And that's what you want here, especially at, at, at a program. Uh, we, we talked about it before. I came to UNLV because I wanted to be around a college-type town. And I'm going to be honest, I came to Vegas with no intention of finding it here. Like, I did not think I was going to find it here. Um, won't say where I was going to – I say it, screw it. Uh, I was going to go to SDSU. Interesting. I had got in out of high school. I was conditionally accepted. So they either told me to take a year off. Um, so I didn't have, I forgot why they told me to take a year off. They said either take a year off or go to a community college for two years. I went to a community college for two years and I applied to some other places. And I, I wanted a, a college type feel, a college town feel. And sure enough, as I said before, I came to Vegas and I got that here. I thought I was going to have to go down, pardon, down south to get it. And I got it here. And then once I got to campus, I realized how many people had done exactly what I had done and migrated here. And majority of the people who were born and raised and or grew up here went elsewhere, especially a lot of the homegrown sports talent. So to see Barry Odom come in, identify that right away, uh, as I said before, I don't think you, you, you can be any happier about a football coach coming in and addressing both lines. And then a football coach that comes in, especially at this collegiate level, and addresses the youth. Um, I, I've said it before. Um, I remember just 
growing up, certain labeling of UNLV, I remember Tart, right? I remember, uh, and I will say this before we get into the next topic, I remember uh, Larry Johnson following the national championship and he said, you can call me thug, you can call me a thug, you can call me a hoodlum, you can call me a gangster, whatever. Make sure you add national champion at the end of it. Uh, that stuck with me, right? Running Rebels stuck with me. Being a rebel in general stuck with me. So to see Barry Odom come in and kind of um, embrace that right away, as I said before, I, I think you got to hollow out some of those halls in, in different programs. And I think Barry Odom is in a lucky situation that he doesn't necessarily have ghosts in that program hall in the terms of players. The sad part is the ghosts that lurk in the UNLV football halls are its coaches. I think a lot of these coaches that are probably linked, their ghosts are lingering in those halls. I think if they had a little bit more time, they may have been successful. I remember Tony Sanchez said on the way walking out of the door, I just hope they give the next guy more time. And we see how that went. Uh, San Diego State. We'll be staying in the Mountain West after all, at least for now. That's literally what this report says from the Nevada Sportsnet. Um, I believe it was a $6 million payout at some point. I need to do some more research just to see where the $6 million went because maybe San Diego State gave it back to the conference in order to come back. However, we, we, we've talked about it before. San Diego State, I, <laughs> we talk, well, I talk about it in terms of driving all the time, in terms of uh, not making a decision is making a decision. And it appears that San Diego State, they were on the fence. And I would love to speak to somebody from San Diego State to, or just San Diego as a whole, to kind of give me a little bit more clarity on this. But it appears San Diego State wanted nothing to do. It, it's, we, we talk about relationships, right, on this show. And it appears that San Diego State is in a relationship with the Mountain West. And they say, I'm done. I, I want to get out of here. But you want to leave your stuff here, like while you go try to find a different suitor? No, take your stuff with you, go out there and find that other suitor. And it appears that San Diego State wanted to leave their bags at the Mountain West just just in case. If I don't find anything else out there, I'm coming back. I need <laughs> a decision, and I hate to say it, but we talk about USC, we talk about UCLA. Do I like the fact that they are no longer in the Pac-12? No. I don't like it. Do I like the fact that they said, hey, we're jumping? Yes, I do. Because too many times we've seen programs be on the fence about certain things, right? Coastal Carolina did it a couple of years ago. They asked Coastal Carolina about moving up Division One. They said, yeah, whatever it takes. We'll come up there, we'll get whooped. We, yeah, the answer is yeah. USC and UCLA... They're looking at the Big Ten and they're going, this might be a little rough, but so what? We're going. I think similar to what Gonzaga has done in basketball before, I think San Diego State took a peek out of the rabbit hole and said, oh, it's a war going on out here. I'm going to stay in my comfort. I'm going to stay in my comfy, in my, in, my, in, my, in my friendly confines, in my comfy space of the Mountain West or the WCC. SDSU, in case you guys are not aware, you are the next one to leave. There's room in the Pac-12. That is probably where you guys will be headed. Gonzaga might be headed there with you. I don't understand why this was a story in the cycle, in the news cycle for two months. 
for me to still be staring at San Diego State this year. I don't know. So, um, where does it lead? I'm not sure. I, I I do know, as sad as it may seem, we are going to hear about this story probably into January. Uh, rookies reported to camp for the Raiders this past week, or earlier this week, rather. Uh, vets were vets actually report next week. Um, what do I have? Oh, yeah. So I actually didn't have any any other news besides that. Besides, obviously, rookies um, reporting, vets report next week. Jimmy Garoppolo's health is going to be a question, obviously, right? Um, Josh Jacobs is still not signed. There's a war on running backs right now. Um, if I'm Le'Veon Bill, I'm not handling it with as much grace as everybody as he is. He is a grown man, and I will admit that because I'm still a child in that sense. Because now y'all want to band together. And I was talking to somebody at work <laughs> uh, about it, and I told them, I said, somebody said, uh, how do you think Le'Veon feels? I said, I don't know how Le'Veon feels. I said, but if it was me, I would be pissed off. And he was like, well, why? I said, well, at the end of the day, it's nobody's job really to stand with you. However, Le'Veon didn't solely take that stance for him. He was saying, if I account for this percentage of your receiving yards, I'm on the field for this percentage of your snaps. The only person playing more than me is the quarterback. I mean, this salary should reflect that. On top of the fact that I'm getting your top running back duties, it should reflect that. Now, I told him, I said, well, a lot of those athletes didn't want to want to step up at that time because a lot of athletes even talked about it and said, well, I'm not going to mess up my money. So where was the incentive to do it back then, right? Here's you guys' incentive. Now it's your turn. That's the incentive. The thing about foresight is it is just that. It's foresight. So, yes, your money is good right now. Three years from now when you're 29 years old and you have six years on your body on top of four years of college on your body, eh, I, think, I, think, I think you're done. I think you might have one good year left in you. You're 29 years old. So 32, you have been phased out of the league. What happens now? Got to get a real job. <laughs> Especially if you're not getting paid. Yeah. I've, and depending on how you manage your money throughout the you know time you were in the league, I, I mean, I don't Again, it's always a tough situation because there's guys that want to be around the game. And that's where you see these guys going into broadcasting and being an analyst and so on and so forth. And that's great. But there's also guys that we've seen, not necessarily in football, the one that comes to mind, he was a basketball player, and it's, it's I mean, to this day, it's very heartbreaking, was Delonte West. Mm-hmm. Where, it, and it's not necessarily picking on Delonte West, it's just it, kind of a real-life example of somebody that was in the league, was making millions of dollars, was, you know, I, to the public eye, you know, kind of living the good life, if you will, right? Being a professional athlete, making a lot of money. And the latest we've seen on Delonte West was 
he was on the street corner kind of and that's i think just the harsh reality of what can happen and granted i mean we don't obviously know what happened with Delonte west maybe there were some things behind the scenes however whatever happened that got him to that point is something we don't know um we just know that he ended up at that point unfortunately um i say that to say i feel like maybe not to the extreme that Delonte west was but i feel like there's stuff like that happens to these professional athletes, particularly if they aren't necessarily wise enough with their money early on. Now, I mean, we have seen some of the rare guys in the NFL, NBA, so on and so forth, that, like, Gronk's a good example of this. The big fact that, I mean, a lot of people didn't used to know this about Gronk, and now I think more people do than don't, is Gronk didn't spend any of his actual salary. He spent his money... Off of the endorsements. I think Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts came out and said the exact same thing. I think Jalen Hurts said he hasn't touched his NFL money yet. Same thing with Joe Burrow. Which, for some guys, that works. It's all a preference and a personal choice. So that's why I don't want to be so harsh on it because, you know, different folks have different tastes and whatnot and so forth. But it's not abnormal, you know, in some cases for these guys to get out of the league and we kind of joke about it, oh, you got to go get a real job now. No, sometimes that is the reality. Like, they have to go find a real job to keep income coming in because, in a sense, like, you know, a lot of the public eye is like, oh, well, you make millions and millions of dollars. If you budget that out, you should be set for the rest of your life. Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes they don't get to that millions and millions and millions of dollar level. Maybe they're good enough to be a pro athlete, but they're not good enough to get those big contracts. Or let's say that they do have $6 million. Let's Let's say that they did get $6 million. How many other people in their family are millionaires? Not How many other people in their family are hundred thousand? Exactly, and that's and that's another good point. So I know yeah, I just made that up. I, I, I mean, you know, hey, it I, works. It, it's yeah, I I think it works. Uh, but you look at it, you're right. You know, you get that contract or that check for six million dollars. Like, man, I got all this money, gonna go spend it on cars. And then you're right. You get a lot of these people, particularly within the inner circle, you know, family, friends and whatnot that start coming to you and going, hey, like, because they realize you got money. So not to say that they just come out and point blank ask for money, but that can happen. They will. They will. No, they will. For sure. Or they'll they'll be like, hey, man, you got you. It, it might be smaller or whatever, but <laughs> it's the fact that like people in your inner circle will start looking at that person a little bit different when they know that there's a couple extra zeros there. I have friends that do music. And me and my friends have had real life talks. And a couple of years ago, I was ha- having a conversation with one of my friends and we were at the house and we were just randomly, we may have been even just drinking and we were just randomly just talking and just catching up on in life. And I asked them randomly, I was like, how many people like, again, we all go through things, right? However, I told him, I said, how many people do you get that see what traction you have? And assume that the dollars are already flowing. And he was like, oh, bro, all the time. And he was like, I'm sure you do with the same thing. And I told him, I said, since I've gotten, since I've started this media company, I've had some people ask me for certain things. And I mean, now it's gotten to the point where I have to ask them, like, do you know that like I'm spending money to start this company? Like, what do you think I'm sitting on right now? Yeah. Like, what do you think I own? Yeah. And maybe I don't, it could just be a, nationwide like society type of thing where you kind of just size up like how much a person could make i've had it happen to me before where 
people have just kind of assumed. And I mean, I'm I'm I don't take a lot of offense to it. I don't take a lot of offense to a lot of things. Right. So to me, for me, it's just like mm, whatever. It's something I notice and take note of. But you know, I I I also understand that it can be pretty offensive to people. And I would imagine like some of these athletes, like they probably do take a little bit of offense to it. Like they understand that they, yes, they are in the public eye. Yes, they are professional athletes. That doesn't mean you get to look at their checkbook or their pocketbook and realize that. Well, time for my handout, like time for me to get mine back. And literally, I think that's kind of the mindset mentality that a lot of these people within the inner circle kind of have. It's like, well, we, we kind of saw you when you were just starting out. We kind of helped get you, you know, and, and it's everybody know. remembers that one favor they did you when they I feel know, like and you, then they yeah. always try to call it back in. They're like, hey, man, remember that la- that one time? No, I don't actually <laughs> remember that one time back in like seventh grade. I gave you that ride and we would yeah, they always they, they always got a, squ- a story. You I, gave I, me a ride, but you needed to sleep at my house that night. So, like, are we counting favorites? What's like, happening? Remember that one time I, I covered your McDonald's tab? Like, It's like, and at the end of the day, too, like I said before, and we can get off of this, but I won't say exactly which football player it is because I just feel like it's, it's, I mean, at a certain point, we don't need to keep bringing up the specifics of it. Right. I mean, the name, I should say, but uh, we've heard a story of, of an athlete who um, told his mom, go ahead and, and pick a house, but don't go over this amount. And I was a little baffled when I heard this become a story. But the the mom came out and was kind of a, a little aggressive toward the athlete, toward her son, um, kind of informing us on what he told her no about. I thought it was very, I thought I found, I found myself rather being very uncomfortable when the athlete comes out and says, well, now I have to be personal. A, I told you don't look for a house over X amount. You came to a house. You came with, to me with a house that was almost double that. I also informed you that that's more than my house. So no. And you're making it seem like I told you I wouldn't buy you anything. So again, we're talking about whatever level we're dealing with it at this point, right? Even my friend that does music. These athletes, we don't understand what the ask is. Like I can't imagine picking up the phone. And somebody telling me, hey, I need 50,000. 50,000 of what? Likes? I can get you 50,000 likes. 50,000 what? Comments? I Followers? Get I can get you that. I'll yeah. post you right now. Uh, without even knowing who the athlete is, I would be willing to guess that that athlete to this day is probably still pretty rich. Probably. Because, and, and it's not necessarily. Because they have boundaries. Exactly where I was going. They they've set boundaries early, and they've set it with the people that are closest to them. So that way, when bigger pe- than that, I bet you their family got it together too and took whatever house was given to them. Yeah, no, they they started straightening up, and they were like, "All right, you know, just take what's given to you." And again, I mean, this is an example, right? Where you you set boundaries, especially with your own parents. Then when the fourth long lost cousin comes asking for money, or somebody not as close. It's easier to tell those people no because Absolutely. you've already set those boundaries early. You can make your money last a lot longer. Indeed. Uh, Dan Snyder did pretty well with his money. Um, That's disgusting. I, here, here's, here's where I'm at. That's gross. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking about the sexual harassment suit right now. We're, we'll get to that in a second. But let's just surround. I'm not saying leave it out per se. I'm just saying I'm not talking about that solely. We've heard a lot of gross things about Dan Snyder, right? Now, I drove over here and I had an internal conversation with myself. I thought about, um, I own something now. I own several things now. And 
I saw the NFL owners approve the sale of the Washington Commanders from Dan Snyder. I didn't even see where he sold it to or the group that he sold it to, but he sold it for $6.05 billion. Matter of fact, I've been looking at this today, and I don't think they even put out where he, where he sold it yet. It was some group, I think, that bought it. Okay, yeah, I'm about to say, I'm not even sure if it... It was like a group of investors that bought it. To Josh Harris. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah. looking right at it. Um, shout out to the AP. Uh, so part of me felt a little Donald Sterling-esque. Yep. Um, a lot of people were disappointed in the fact that Donald Sterling and Dan Snyder have made money off Robert Sarver, right? Another situation where they've made money after their their their, their terrible behavior. And this is where I had to be honest with myself. I own stuff now. And yes, some of these people have been in have, have inherited and been gifted their teams and their their businesses, their companies, whatever. <laughs> I hate to say it, guys, but for everybody wishing, and I had to check myself, for everybody wishing and 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 hoping that these that these people would make no money essentially from, for lack of a better term, being a a, a pretty piss poor human being. Um, life just doesn't work that way, and that's the uncomfortable truth about it, and. That's why I had to put myself into the to those to those shoes. Cause do I believe that I would ever say or do any of the things that Donald Sterling, Robert Sarver, uh, Dan Snyder have done? No. However, I do understand. I had to understand rather. Let's just say that there was an uproar for whatever reason. The punishment is selling the team, or selling the company, or selling the business. Yes, they're getting money back. The ultimate loss is losing whatever that baby was. So I know a lot of people, including myself, saw that $6 billion and was like, he got off. You guys are talking to billionaires. Respectfully, that $6 billion inside of that account is not going to make up for the fact that Dan Snyder is going to be sick every Sunday for the next foreseeable future. Now, let's talk about the Mary Jo White findings. So I was I was looking just out of curiosity what Sterling and Snyder bought their teams for originally. Mm -hmm. That I'm sure they came up. So we'll start with Donald Sterling. Do you want to take a guess how much Donald Sterling spent on um, in the purchase of the Clippers? Three hundred mil. No. Way more. Way less. Way less. Way less. Damn. Is it a, is it triple digits? No. 16 mil. Lower. 8 mil. Higher. 12. 12.5. Didn't he sell that joint for a B? Two. Do you want to know how much Dan Snyder bought the commanders for? Football is king, so I don't know. Um, is it in the three? It is. This one is in the $125 million. More. Is it more than 250 Yes. 450 More. Damn. $600 million. More. 
My last guess is seven twenty-five. He bought it for eight hundred million, and he just, sold it for six. And he sold it for six billy. <laughs> he. <laughs> oh my god, bro. <laughs> Oh my God, he is a nasty human being sitting on so many. So is Donald Sterling, because Donald Sterling now is both of these respected people are billionaires because of their because of yes, you're right. They had to sell the team, and obviously watching that team perform without their ownership is going to hurt a little bit until you go to the bank and you deposit that next check and you go, oh, that's right. I've said it before. Donald Sterling, I forgot at the time, but he still owned another team. Or was it Robert Sarver? One of those two still owned a team at the sale of the uh, at the sale of uh, their basketball their basketball team. Right. Here's here's the thing about this Dan Snyder thing. If we push past the money and we get past all of these these other glaring headlines about him um, selling this team, which I don't believe is a coincidence that news drops on the same day that the Mary Jo White findings drop. And the NFL has opted to fine Dan Snyder $60 million. I shouldn't laugh, but given how much money Dan Snyder just acquired. Right. It. I, I looked at that number two and definitely started counting pockets and was like, you should have did at least 100 mil. But whatever the case may be, these findings are uncomfortable. Yeah. These findings are gross. These findings shouldn't shock anybody. And I think what makes it even more gross is the fact that I don't think Dan Snyder cares. I don't I genuinely don't think he cares. That's even worse. I don't think he does either. Because I always say this, like think of Dan Snyder as a company. Companies typically, you would hope that they try to look out for their employees and want to make sure they're happy. What do companies care most about? Money. They got to make sure the bottom line's right. They are amoral. Yeah. Money, and then if they're making money, then we can move on to the other things, like your employees and all that. If we're not making money, nothing else matters. I think Dan Snyder is, you know, feeling a certain way, especially when he wakes up tomorrow and looks at that bank account and goes, oh, yeah. I'm good. Now, to your point, I mean, to a lot of points, these findings should disturb a lot of people, including Dan Snyder. But the fact that when you get, and I, and maybe this is just a general assumption, but I feel like when you get to a certain level of wealth and you are so driven to build on that wealth, you start overlooking the moral side of life. You, you start overlooking those things that you might feel is petty or not worth your time. And as unfortunate as, as it might sound, at least in, I think in Dan Snyder's mind, he might feel like this is all water on the bridge. He doesn't own the team anymore. So he probably feels like my hands are clean. I'm done with this. Like whether, again, these findings aren't great and they, they shouldn't be overlooked. But if you go in the mind of Dan Snyder, he probably doesn't really care all that much because he feels like, you know, the league, quote unquote, got the last laugh by him having to sell his team. For him, it just happened to be a profit. I'm going to make a comparison right now, and I'm not talking about the act of it. But you you say that there's there's a certain level of arrogance. I think and, so. And I say it 
obviously that there's a certain level of arrogance to be successful. And I'm going to show you guys a couple ways that it works to your detriment. Um, I'm only going to make this comparison because I'm on radio and I'm not on TV, so it helps. Um, not in any way comparing what the two did. However, I don't believe Dan Snyder cares. A, you're right. He he sold the team, so he's probably like, "What does it matter? Like, I'm not. I, like, I don't have you know. You guys don't have to deal with me anymore." Right. However, I remember when, and this is the probably the most uncomfortable I've been in a really long time. Um, this was maybe four years ago, five years ago. Somebody brought up the history of R. Kelly to R. Kelly, and I don't know what the hell he had drank that day, what the hell he had smoked that day what he had, what pill he popped that day, or whether he didn't do one of the three. And maybe he typically does. But his response was, it's too late now. You should have caught me 20 years ago. And I promise Same you, deal. dog, I looked around and I said, please, God, tell me this is an artificial re like recording. Like, this is he did not say that. And he said it. Who's to say Dan Snyder's not saying something similar? That's my point. I believe he is. So my point is, they also find out that he was taking league revenue, which doesn't surprise me. It's supposed to be for the Washington Commanders, and he pocketed it, which doesn't surprise me because look at the way that the Washington Commanders have shortcut everything that they've done over the last 10 years, whether it be signing players, whether it be the constant disrespect to Sean Taylor, whatever you want to slice it as. Here's what really grinds my gears, and I want to come back to this probably in, 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 on another show. <clears throat> the league is, is it will, or if they haven't already, the league will release findings from this commander's investigation. Dan Snyder was a name that I brought up when John Gruden was released, or re was relieved of his duties, rather, here in Vegas. <laughs> And when they told us it was over X amount of emails and they released, what was it, 62 to us or whatever the hell it was, 63? And I looked and said, hmm, so you want me to believe if John Gruden is a racist, a bigot, a sexist, classes, all these different things, am I to believe that he had no other conversations with people around the league who are the exact same way? Dan Snyder's name came up during that time. Am I to believe that the league just found out about this? Here's where I'm at. <laughs> and this is where, this is my hot take, and I'll get out of here. When, uh, well, we can get out of this, out of this topic. <clears throat> the same way I say defund the police, mm -hmm. we need to defund the NFL. And there are some people that understand what I mean, and there are some people that do not understand what I mean. What I mean is it means it needs a massive overhaul. But it needs to go away to fully have that massive overhaul. Will police ever go away for us to have that massive overhaul? Probably not. Probably not. Will the NFL ever fully go away for us to have that massive overhaul? Probably not. Probably not. But I am in the exact same boat. 
yes, we need cops in certain areas, right? Sure. Yes, we love the sport of football. I might have to bite the bullet. And I've done it before where I've ignored football before. But we might have to bite the bullet as a unit. I mean, these players as well. The problem is they don't have guaranteed money similar to the NBA, similar to MLB. However, you look at these players and you guys hold all the power. This league has proven time and time again it does not care about you. I made it a point on this last post. I don't even post to social media like that. I mean, like, the timeline. My story is my story. I try to get you guys news out. I try to have some fun on my story. I very rarely ever post to my actual page. The last post that I had before two days ago was the Aces Parade. That was nearly a year ago. I post after Summer League, after the WNBA uh, All-Star Weekend, I post nearly two weeks of being embedded with the best league on earth. I mean every word that I said. (laughs) This NFL gives us every reason every week not to watch. And because football is king, we tune in every Sunday, Thursday, and Monday. I had a quick question for you when it comes to the NFL. Does it bother, well, yes, does it bother you, and if so, how much? that the NFL, like you said, seemingly turned a blind eye to Dan Snyder. It pisses me off. Hang on. But then came with a different energy to John Gruden. That doesn't piss me off. You want to know why? Gruden's was sloppy enough to get out. The Ray Rice situation. They had that video before we saw it. We saw it, and they was like, oh, damn, right, now we got to suspend you. You have shown me too many times you will turn a blind eye to something. Right. So it's not that you handle John Gruden differently. His just got out. If it happened with another coach, I'm going to put on a coach that I do not believe that, that, that it has, that has it in him, in them, so I feel like I can be a little safe with saying this. Let's say something like that came out. Let's say that they knew something about Matt LaFleur right now. Which, by the way, let me go ahead and, get, and shoot him some bail, who has been very vocal in making sure that there is a direct line for minority coaches to go from coordinators to head coaches. He's been a big, fa- a big benefactor in that. However, let's just say that the NFL knows something about him. We wouldn't know right now. Five years from now, we may know. And you know what we also may find out five years from now? The NFL knew the whole damn time. You, There's a lot more in those John Gruden emails that they refuse to tell us. I was going to say, do you th- I wonder how long did the league know about John Gruden's behind the scenes, if you will, before the public knew? Before John Gruden came back to coaching. So they knew. And they, they said were just, John Gruden was acting out at ESPN. And they were just kind of waiting for the time for him he to He got play. a job after acting out at ESPN. It was one so. And I, I would, I mean, I'd, I, that sounds like it would make sense and it would be true. My theory then, if that's the case, is ESPN was waiting for him to mess up on his own and for him to let let the cat slip out of the bag, however you want to phrase it. I think ESPN was, or not ESPN, but the league, if that's true, probably had the mindset of, we're not going to say anything, but if you're stupid enough to or let something slip out, then we've got this in our back pocket. 
here's some bad news for you guys in case you guys are unfamiliar and this is going to feel like I'm telling you guys that Santa Claus isn't real. Dang it. <laughs> Sometimes the bad guy doesn't get caught. And I know that's going to be really uncomfortable for you guys to hear. Plain and simple, sometimes the bad guy doesn't get caught. It just is what it is. So to go back to the John Gruden point, his was on Front Street. Knock on wood, I just said I don't believe Matt LaFleur is that type of person. Let's just say Matt LaFleur has it in him. He may be one of the people that we just never find out. Bill Belichick even. He might just be one of those people we just never find out. Especially with how successful Bill's been. You want to know what's so interesting? We found out some stuff about Jerry Jones, and they've made it a point to make it seem like we just didn't find it out. No, I found that out. Michael Irvin, I've heard what you said. Yeah. Emma Smith, I've heard what you said. Demarcus Ware, I've heard what you said. I also saw this, and I saw his response to it. I have had people treat me in amazing ways. If something like this came out about them, because of our relationship, I would want to have a conversation about this. It says what it is. Two baseball topics and we'll get out of here. We got the Aviators. The Aviators had a makeup game today, so they played a doubleheader today. They dropped the first one. They, they went ahead and picked up the second one. They scored 11 runs in both of these wins in this series. Um, pretty big shoes to fill, obviously, with Tyler Soderstrom moving up, with Zach Geloff moving up. Jonah Bride was actually caught up earlier today. Cody Thomas is already up, right? So a lot of the, the, the fixtures in this Las Vegas lineup uh, over the last year, really, um, they're gone. <laughs> and they're up at the major league level. Uh, I expect to see maybe two, maybe three of those names back down at minor uh, in the minor leagues at some point the remainder of the season. But as of right now, you have a lot of guys at this AAA aviator level that are getting their first crack at it. And to be quite honest, to see this group have the offense that it has had, it's been pretty encouraging. I'm not going to lie. It's been pretty encouraging. I told you before I talked to Fran on Saturday. I'll talk to him again in two days. And um, – Fran is a pretty even kill guy regardless. Um, I don't know. If, I, you just talked to Fran. Um, he's a pretty even kill guy regardless. However, I was around that team in 2019 when they when they won the PCLS, right? Um, I was around this team two years ago when this team was bottom of the barrel, and or maybe last year, bottom of the barrel. And the energy around this group is different. It feels different right now. I'm not exactly sure where it ends, but I will say this energy that is injected into this group right now is not the same energy that was around this group about a month ago. So, um, again, pitching is going to be all the answers to this particular um, for this particular team. But if you look after, or if you look aside from that Monday game, or that Tuesday game, rather, where they won 11-8, to kind of a slugfest type of game. Um, they did lose game one today, 5-4, to but then they won that second game 11-1. to So, again, it's a little sample size with this AV, or with this Lost, uh, Salt Lake Bees group, however. Um, it does give you a little bit of an idea as to where this team is led by, and we've, we've already said it, it's top-heavy just in terms of offense. 
Um, I do got some questions on the live that I will try to get to shortly. Uh, as of right now, the Aviators are 11-7 and seven overall. They're first in the PCOS. Again, not much of that matters considering that they're doing a full first half winner. Uh, first half and second half winner. Oklahoma City already won the first half, and as of right now, they are tied with the Aviators. Four third in the league at 11-7. and seven. Both teams are looking up at Albuquerque and Round Rock, both sitting at 12-6 and six on the year. You have three more games for the Aviators against the Bees before returning home for a series against Sugarland, And I'm excited for that just because I'm excited to get back to the ballpark. It's not too many summers that I'm not at the ballpark two series a month. So uh, I feel a little weird when, I, when I'm not around my guys. So I'm hoping to get back to the ballpark as early as Tuesday. Um... Yeah, let's do let's do let's do athletics, and then I'll do my little uh, one topic, and then we'll, we'll answer these questions. Do my dad sip in and get out of here. Uh, I think you talked about it before. You talked about going into this Boston Houston uh, series. You said if they can get what was it three wins? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they got two already, <laughs> so that's a good that's a good look. They took two of three away from Boston, and keep in mind this is a Boston team that is in the AL East that. Everybody in the AL East is better than anybody in the AL Central. So it's giving you an idea of how good that AL East is. And your Oakland Athletics just picked up two wins against the fourth place team. That's a team that I think is still seven games above 500. And this is coming to coming against a team that is almost what, 45 games under 500 now at this point. Um, and they are officially 45 games under 500 after tonight's loss. They lost the series opener against Houston three to one. Uh, which ends a, a brief two-game win streak for this group. Now we got a little bit of traction. They are 27-72 and 72 on the year, last in the AOS. However, Kansas City, they are a game better in the win column. They are 28-70. and 70. And now the race for the worst team in baseball is on. I'm locked in. I'm locked in. You know the way I am. If you're going to lose, if you're going to stink, be bad, dog. Be all the way bad. I'm telling you, bro. I'm starting Tyler Soderstrom in center. I'm ch- I'm checking everything. I don't know that he can't play the outfit until I know it. I'm just gonna see. You're gonna have a you're gonna shout have to a, my guy Tyler too. You're gonna have. I mean, by the way, that's a really interesting way to cheer for a team. I I think it might be kind of fun. If I just want to see everything, especially if you know like your team's not gonna be good and you have a chance for a top pick. Like if that was the case, then I'd be throwing out like. I know you play for his base. You're going to be the starting pitcher today. That's what we're doing. Like, I, I would just have a starting rotation of all position players. Like, we're going to take a turn. Some of the best moments in the first, during the first half for the Aviators was Joel Pozo being on the mound. That is a center. That is a catcher, designated hitter, who he will hit 390-foot singles. Some of the best moments of the first half is him striking out people with 68-mile-an-hour EFIS pitches. Like, this is great. Like I know you play left field. Today you're gonna to be on the mound. Hey man. And then and then the next day we're gonna take the second baseman. We're gonna move him to the mound, and then we'll start like different things. You're so, gonna look at Marcasi and be like, "How? When's the last time you played?" Yeah, it doesn't matter. You can DH. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it don't matter. Um, shoot, the, the, and we. They, I mean, the Athletics might have an open tryout at this point. At this point, the only person I feel bad for, I've said it before, is Marcasi. Like I feel like you and me could get on the mound. It wouldn't make a difference. I was about to say, it, it may look the way that the rest of the numbers look. So don't judge me. Why not? <laughs> don't judge me. I'm, I'm, I'm literally trying to fit in with you guys. Um, th- this Again, like I said before, guys, there's only so much we can we can take from, from these games only because um, it, it's 
it's a it's a trial by fire period for this group and again Hogan Harris had a great start tonight so you, you're finding these bright spots it's just not a lot of them plain and simple um earlier this week this team tra- as a matter of fact yesterday this team traded Shintaro Fujinami to the Baltimore Orioles for Easton Lucas um in case you guys are wondering about, about Fujinami um another one of those prospects coming over um to the US who Oakland had a little bidding war with, with a couple of teams. I think ball I think Boston was in there I'm pretty sure the Dodgers were in there I think the Angels were in there um and they end up securing the services of Fujinami he goes from being what they believe to be a top end starter in this rotation to the bullpen to completely off of this roster and onto the Baltimore roster in less than a season. So, again, I've said it before. Yes, why I believe that this A's team needs to make some moves and probably make some noise. Um, the noise that they do make sometimes is a little baffling because if Fujinami turns into a star next year, this will be looked at. <laughs> and it will be looked at, especially harshly, if Easton Lucas is not a part of your plans going forward. Um, again, as I said before, th- this aviator team, this athletic team, they're, 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 they're uh, I believe they are on the upswing. I, I really do. Uh, I've seen some things change over the last eight to 12 months that, that has kind of changed that for me. I don't know how long the upswing takes, but I do believe they are officially on the upswing. Uh, I see some people commenting, uh, any updates on the NBA team? Um, it's happening. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's happening. Um, at this point, they're just trying to figure out where they're going to play. I've heard more and more people since summer league talk about, um, the T-Mobile arena. I stand by what I said, unless the Fertitas or, and or Dana White have some sort of stake in the team, which is a very good possibility they could. However, if it's not a LeBron James type group and it's for instance, the Oakview group, which is on the first floor of this building, ironically enough, our neighbors, if it's them, I don't know that they need a Fertitta to do business. Now, of course, we understand how much the Fertittas run Vegas, right? However, they don't necessarily need the money to, from you. They don't necessarily need the backing from you. They may not need it for Dana, from Dana either. So um, I'm not completely sold that another building won't be erected soon, um, whether it be a, a UFC a, a arena essentially whether it be a basketball arena i've heard of a basketball arena being built by uh, emmett smith a couple of years ago i haven't heard anybody say much about that but i know for a fact that he wanted to build a, a nba or a, a basketball arena that was mainly geared towards college basketball but could also house an nba team so that's something to pay attention to i also saw a question about jimmy garoppolo Jimmy Garoppolo, as of right now, is expected to be ready for the start of training camp. We will not know until next week when we talk to Jimmy directly what's going on. I've never met Jimmy. I don't believe Jimmy will be, and this is just me being honest, I don't believe Jimmy's going to be the most forthcoming. So let's just say that Jimmy is not going to play the preseason, and he knows it already. I don't think we will know until week one of the preseason, maybe week two of the preseason, or maybe week three of the preseason. I say that because I feel like there may be a little bit, a little bit of of, of dragging the, the the foot here. No pun intended. Um, he's expected to be ready. However, the signing, the restructuring of the contract, the 
the the changing of the press conference date, those are all reasons for Raider fans to cringe, and those are all reasons for Raider fans to have questions. That being said, I'm pretty sure those questions will be asked next week, especially if I'm in the building. Um, sadly to say, I just don't know what answers we'll get. Um, my dad's tip in for, for today. Pardon. After five-plus months of no NFL football, training camps are cranking up in anticipation for our favorite teams of being the last team left standing are still possible. He didn't have to do this, but he said Aaron Rodgers is a Jet, Jimmy Garoppolo is a Raider, free agents like Dalvin Cook, Jadavian Clowney, and Kareem Hunt still top the list of proven talent that's still waiting to get a call. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some football. Uh, my dad is right. It's so many questions going on uh, um, out in the NFL world and NFL landscape. And to be quite honest with you guys, I don't think they're going to stop anytime soon. The good thing is, officially starting this week, we have until February to figure it out. There you go. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking. Crazy.